Hello, my friend, and welcome back to the Tough Love Terry podcast. We are on episode two of season four, and today I'm going to be sharing something really personal with you. I have probably talked about it a little bit here and there, but today I'm going full force into my journey through orthorexia when I lived in Busan, South Korea. Um, So if you are somebody that does struggle with eating disorders, uh, body dysmorphia, or orthorexia, um, you may find this this podcast to be triggering. So that this is just a forewarning that if that is something that's triggering for you, do not continue to listen. Uh, And we will simply see you next week. Um, But if you are you know, feeling up to it and you want to have a little listen, then welcome because I'm about to talk about it all. That being said, I did write about this a little bit on the Beyond the Body um, membership site. So if you've had a chance to read that, then you kind of already know a little bit of the story. And if you haven't, there's still time. You can head over there and become a member and get access to more writing than you could ever imagine. All right. So without further ado, let's get into it. And yeah, thanks for being here. jump into today's episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about the new membership site that I just launched. It's called the Beyond the Body membership site and it's for anybody who wants to up-level their life in regards to body image, mindset, and creativity. You can find out more about it on my website at terryhoffer.com and just click the Beyond the Body membership sign up. You don't have to sign up for it to learn about it, but if you decide to, it's only $8 a month and there will be consistent content in the form of blog posts by me, videos from me, as well as some audio clips of me reading excerpts from my favorite books, in addition to podcasts that do not get published on here. So basically, you are going to get a lot of content that's going to help create a space for intentional learning and up-leveling and helping you become the person that you want to be. All right, so again, that is at terryhoffer.com and just click the link that says Beyond the Body Membership Registration. Thanks, and I'll see you in the episode. Okay, so yeah, where to start with this topic? Um, yeah, how far back to go? Well, let, let me just first start off by talking about kind of what prompted me to talk about this in full form today. Uh, the other day, I was cleaning out my desk at in preparation for a move that's going to be happening in like two or three or four years, uh, I'm like, oh, we've got so much crap. I need to definitely go through some of these drawers. I don't even know what's in here. Anywho, I was able to unearth a bunch of old photos, which is always fun for me. But two of the photos that kind of fell into my lap were photos that um, my friends had taken of me while I was in Busan, South Korea. One was when we were at the Green Tea Festival, and then the other one, we were just getting ready to go out and wearing these hideous tops. But anyways, as I pulled the photo out, I I felt sick to my stomach almost looking at those photos. I hadn't looked at photos of myself from that time of my life in a really long time. And to see just how gaunt I looked in those images and still didn't think my body was 
you know, appropriate for societal beauty standards is baffling to me. And the reason why I think it's important to share my story is because I think the more we can talk about these types of topics, um, the, the more people will have to suffer less in, uh, in private. And maybe you yourself will notice that you also experienced, you know, either disordered eating um, as a result of the fitness industry. Um, and maybe you just thought it was, or is, because some of you might still be in this, um, you may recognize it as, well, it's just part of the culture. But in fact, a lot of, um, a lot of disordered eating starts with fitness and uh, the way it is positioned to us, particularly those of us that are socialized as women, um, but also men. I mean, women at least, uh, like, it's easier for us to get help for things like anorexia or bulimia or whatever. It's almost like people believe us because we're girls and women, uh, which is the stupidest thing ever. Um, they don't believe us in any other realm, but that one they do. So, I mean, it's good that we get the help, but like I know here in my city for men to get help with, um, eating disorders, they have to go through the women's health clinic. So what ends up happening is men who struggle with, um, you know, body image insecurity, like everyone does, their first plan of attack is talking to their buddies and going to the gym and, you know, getting really, um, really strict about their food and their macros and how much they're working out. And it becomes an obsession, which is exactly what happened with me. So if you are not aware, when I was younger, I was always a heavier set kid growing up. And when I say heavier set, like I was always the biggest one in the class and not just like weight wise, but also I was quite tall for my age. And, um, I always kind of stood out. That being said in Bozeman, Manitoba, our school had a class of like 12 kids. So, I mean, somebody had to be the biggest kid and there was 12 of us. So, you know, chances are that it was going to be me. Um, and so I learned early on because people would bully me for my body and the fact that I stood out so much that I did that my body was not good. But here's the thing. I, because I grew up in a household with parents that didn't really care too much about, um, they focused more on our productivity than they did on our body, if that makes sense. As long as you could do the job, then that's all that mattered. And so my body, like my mom never dieted, um, and that was just never a thing that happened in our household. And so the only time I really was confronted with my body was the hours that I was at school. And then, um, you know, just in my journal, my dear diary, when I got home. And so earlier on, uh, if you've read my book, there's a story in there about my mom said, well, you can change to fit in and be what everybody wants you to be, or you can just be yourself. And I was quite self-aware for a child. And I decided it'd be much easier for me just to exist and do the things that I love to do and stay focused on growing myself. Uh, and then let my body just do what it needed to do. And as a result of that, I, I would say like I was relatively peaceful with my body being what it was. I played sports. I was a high performing athlete. I, um, you know, when I look at my journal, there was definitely evidence of, um, of calorie counting or jotting down how many miles I would run or things like that. But it was less about weight loss and more just about conditioning for sports. And again, this is kind of how all of this starts. 
when you play sports, they say, oh, you would definitely be able to jump higher if you lost weight. I remember that being a thing that my coach had said to me once. Well, if you just lose a little bit of weight, then you'll be able to jump higher in volleyball. So, okay, how do I do that? At the time, it meant like running or just eating a little less, but ultimately it was for a purpose. And now here's the thing where I think orthorexia uh, tends to show up. If I look at my strengths, and if you've done Clifton Strengths with me, you know I'm a big proponent of it. But the thing is, I have achiever as a strength, which means that I will always set a goal and I will always hit it no matter what it takes. Um, and this has always been the thing. So if somebody says, well, if you want to be the best at this, this is what you have to do to get there, I would do that thing. So that meant in sports, if, he, if somebody said, well, you'd be a better volleyball player, you'd get a scholarship, you would do this. If you did these things, I was going to do those things because I wanted the prize at the end. So if we combine uh, Achiever with the fact that I was a high-performing athlete and I really just like, like sports, um, those things together definitely influenced um the direction I took towards uh, adopting a lifestyle rooted in orthorexia. And for those of you that aren't aware, like you're probably like, what the hell is orthorexia? Um, orthorexia is basically where you over-exercise and you under-eat. So um, basically what they tell you to do at the gym. It's crazy. Like it literally, if you get into bodybuilding, that's literally their whole method unless you have a really great trainer their whole method is essentially disordered eating and working out regimes so that you can stand on the stage and at the peak of being um what's the word being adjudicated by people you are the least healthy in your body and yet they've told us that this is the pinnacle of health. Like it literally makes no sense. Your body's so dehydrated when they stand up on that stage. It's just, it's a lot. But anyways, so that's essentially what orthorexia is. It's like an extreme, uh, extreme obsession with exercise and uh, strict dieting attached to it. And so, yeah, so that's kind of like, there were always elements of it a little bit trickling through when I was in high school. But then I went to university and uh, stepped away a little bit from, you know, the sports and things like that. I was still active, like going to the gym or swimming or things like that. But it wasn't nearly, nearly, nearly as uh, consistent as it was in high school. And so naturally, my body adjusted and I gained weight in university and whatever. And it wasn't until I had graduated university which was in 2004 maybe and that's when I got a job to go teach English in Busan South Korea and that's kind of like where the journey begins so when I got over to Busan uh, all, as it was I already stood out just because of my height and my curly hair um, but also my size like there are not a lot of fat-bodied humans uh, hanging out in Busan, South Korea. And so I was, and, and people tend to not have a very good concept of personal space there. And immediately, literally immediately upon arriving in uh, South Korea on the subway to my apartment for the very first time, some man sat next to me, put his hand on my thigh and said, oh, like a horse. 
And I just remember being like, okay, this is going to be fun. And then I went uh, to teach in the school that I was teaching on. They're called Hagwan, so it's not like a traditional school. So the kids go to regular school during the day, and then they come see us at these Hagwans, which are um, continued education for them. And really the only reason they bring in English-speaking humans is uh, for conversational English. We don't teach the grammar and stuff like that as much as much as the other teachers it's more so for conversational anywho so the first uh, upon meeting my first class one of the kids literally looked at me and he was like you're a monster and because I hadn't really worked on any of my body image issues up until that point it really hit me hard obviously to the fact that I can remember what I was wearing where I was standing and how it felt to have that kid say that and everyone laugh um, even though that kid was like in grade six, so I couldn't throttle him, but, um, I just remember feeling humiliated and thinking like, yep, this is what this is going to be like. But then as time progressed and probably after about a month of like a huge transition in the food, like, um, I'm from the prairies in Canada. And so like bread and pasta and, um, like doughy things and cheesy things and potatoes are essentially our staples. And then I'm flown over to Korea where essentially we would be fed at the, um, at the schools. And so you'd have the same thing the kids were eating, which was not huge portions, if I'm being honest. But also I didn't really know what anything was. And so I, I ended up not eating very much that first month I was there because I was like, ah, this green sloppy thing. I don't know what this is. Or like tiny little caramelized anchovies. Like, I'm like, I don't know about this. After I stayed there for a while, obviously I ended up loving it. But that, that first, that first go bout was, uh, she was a journey. Anywho, as a result of that, plus now I wasn't driving anywhere, I was walking everywhere because um, I didn't have a car and we had to walk uphill to get to the school. I was walking to school, back from school, and then walking around to go shopping, taking the bus everywhere, and it was hot as hell. Um, I naturally, my body started to lose weight, um, and like my body started to change and adjust to the new lifestyle that I was adapting to. And then about a month in, and so, so here's what happened. This was my first time in my life that, uh, my body was losing weight naturally and the compliments started coming in. And at the time I was what, like 19 or 20. And so my brain still hadn't fully formed. So guess who really enjoyed receiving those compliments? I had no idea what fat phobia was. I had no idea what like, you know, I was like everyone else for the most part, um, where we all start, where we're like, no, I should want to achieve a smaller body. And so after having not really worried about that for my, you know, junior high to high school to college or university, now it was like, it was happening naturally. And so I was like, oh, this is it. I'm finally getting the thing that they said I should want. Like my I'm not destined to be the fat girl. Was I remember explicitly saying that to myself. 
Um, and, but what happened was I took that as a, okay, so what am I doing to make this happen naturally? Well, I'm not eating very much. Okay. So if I just eat crackers and tuna for lunch, then that's great. And then I had made a mention to one of the teachers about how I wanted to get into like Taekwondo since I was over there in Korea. And she introduced me to, uh, I think her husband or something had taken a sport called Kuksulwon which essentially is like similar to hapkido uh in terms of how they um how they practice so like there's stick fighting and then obviously kicking and punching and it's just like all the all the self-defense type things and so i went and i started taking that class and that's when things really 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 that that was part one of really things starting to change because um the cool thing there is like i was paying like 99 dollars a month to take this class and you could go six days a week like it was amazing i go for six days a week two hours a day um and it was so fun i got to basically become the athlete again that i was in high school and i really really enjoyed the sport um and my achiever lit up again. It said, oh my God, there's belt tests. Like you can achieve different belt levels. Amazing. And then there was competitions and then there were different um, skills that you had to master. And so my achiever was like on fire because I wanted to be able to do all these things. And But then what happened was, so that was about three months in I was doing that. And that's when like my loneliness also started to increase. So I was taking this sport. My loneliness was increasing. At that point, I was also drinking incredibly heavy for myself. I was going out to party with uh, like with the teachers because that's just what you do um, to meet other English speakers. I was making out with random humans. I got myself to a bunch of pickles, but we are going to save those stories for another podcast because um, that was a journey. Um, and if my mom hears it, she'll be like, oh, my God, I'm glad I didn't know about these things. But anyways. So I could tell that my loneliness was escalating, but I also didn't want to pay attention to it. But I also realized after about three months of this kind of behavior that it was very counterintuitive. Like I was drinking heavily, being hungover, and then taking this sport that I wanted to excel at. And obviously I couldn't excel if I was, you know, drunk all the time and hungover all the time. And so something had to give. And I said, you know what, you never drank before, so let's cut that out. That's not who you are. Stop doing that. And so now I had all this time to focus on my sport. But because I stopped doing the social thing, I also became incredibly, incredibly lonely because I now did not have access to any English speakers as much. The people that were in my martial arts class were all Korean. Nobody spoke English. Um, they didn't understand uh, anything, whatever. And so that happened. So I decided that I was like, okay, not only am I going to practice my martial arts here at the gym, but I'm also going to be practicing in my downtime at my home in my apartment. And so in total, I was probably working out eh, like four hours a day um, because I wanted to excel at the sport. Number one, I don't like being bad at things for too long or being, um, what's the word in, uh, what's the word, you know, when you're not like 
very good at it. Inexperienced. There we go. Uh, I didn't like being inexperienced at things, so I figured if I watch enough YouTube videos, if I do all these things, then I'll pick it up faster. And was even was YouTube even a thing then? I don't I don't know if YouTube was a thing actually. <laughs> it must have been a thing. But either way, I wanted to learn it faster so that way I could um, excel at the sport because my achiever was like, do it. And all was great. But then my body started to drastically change and everyone was commenting on it. My teachers were com or the teachers I worked with commented on it. The um, obviously the people that were taking martial arts with me commented on it all the time. It, they were mostly men. There was no women in that class except for me, and so they definitely uh, made a point to say I was becoming more beautiful. Thanks. Um, and but being twenty years old, I appreciated this male attention. I appreciated the attention I was getting. And because I was lonely, I appreciated it to a fault. And then about a year later, um, when did I get my black belt? I think it took me two years, uh, a year and a half to get my black belt. Um, and then I had moved apartments. And at that time I decided, oh, this is what I did. Okay. So my first job in Korea was I was working a full day. So like nine to five, for example, for that whole first year. Um, but I decided to stay a second year, and for that second year, I found a way to take two part-time jobs that would pay, so I would get paid more money, but I'd work less. Um, I was very strategic <laughs> how I did this. And I found a new apartment because the apartment I was living in had cockroaches, and I was not about that life. Um, so I found a new apartment, but now I had to pay for it. So, um, but I was feeling a bit more independent and more like I belonged in Korea. This is just where I live now. This is my life. I had met a boy named Young Young, my Korean boyfriend at the time, um, who were still really good friends. Anyways, um, but um, I met him and he was a champion bodybuilder. So now I have this the social aspect was hanging out with a guy who literally works out for a living. Like that was his job essentially. And he worked at a gym. Um, and his mom also used to compete for bodybuilding as well. So my social circle turned into other fitness folks and it's a little bit, it's not as intense. Well, maybe it is, but what I was seeing, it wasn't as intense in Korea as it was in uh, like America or Canada as far as bodybuilding goes, but it's still relatively intense in how strict they are with eating and stuff like that. And so what happened was now I had extra time because I had, you know, managed to get these two jobs where I was working less, but making more money. And that's again, loneliness set in because now I had all this time to myself where I didn't go to parties. I didn't go to, I didn't go drinking. Um, I was just hanging out and I decided to go get a gym membership. So now I was going to the gym for two to four hours a day. Yep. And I was doing my martial arts for two to four hours a day. So that essentially became my full-time job was working out and at the time, loneliness, like now we see this, uh, because I was lonely, I also took to the internet. 
not a lot of people spoke English. It was really hard to find food um, that bodybuilders ate and stuff like that in Korea. So I ended up having to make things. But I turned to the internet for guidance and I found bodybuilding.com. And I would like to say that this is where I went to hell in a handbasket, pretty much. Because now I was involved in forums of people celebrating my eating disorder and my orthorexia. Like, literally people were championing other people for, you know, sticking to a very serious regime of egg whites and tuna and chicken and that's it. Um, they were championing people for working out six plus hours a day and saying like pain is for the week and basically teaching people to override their body signals. Now, I'm not saying the whole website itself is terrible, um, but bodybuilding in general, as far as what I've seen of it from the inside and what I've heard other people say is that it is a very toxic environment that literally supports eating disorders. I remember one time um, I had fallen so far down the rabbit hole that my my weight had gotten so low. So when I went to Korea, I was probably about 270 pounds. I would say I was probably about 270 some pounds if I remember correctly. And um, at this point in the journey, I had gotten down to 157.5. And here's why I'm mentioning the 0.5 is because my BMI says for something that's 5'10 and a female, you should weigh 150 pounds. At that time, I did not realize that the BMI is a complete piece of shit and it has zero relevance on your health and zero relevance on how much you should weigh. So the BMI is bullshit. Don't listen to it. Um, but as a 20 something that didn't know any different and was involved in an environment that talked only about measurements and things like that, um, it became something for me to achieve 150 pounds. So here I was at 157 pounds. I was essentially eating literally the same thing every day and I would have to eat at the same times every day. Like I remember setting alarms and sitting on my bed fidgeting and looking at my clock, looking at my clock, looking at my clock, waiting for it to become 11 a.m. so I could have a bit of cottage cheese to eat. Like, I would not permit myself to eat anything sooner, and I definitely could not have it later. Like, this was timed very specifically. And I don't even know why. I honestly, there's no science behind that. I don't know why. It was just, like, for me, what I felt I needed to do in that moment. Um... And so, yeah, and so it became, like, really obsessive. I even remember going to somebody's party, and they had, like, bowls of chips and stuff like that. And I had the audacity to be like, oh, you don't have any, like, healthy snacks, like apples, um, and maybe a bit of cheese. Like, so, ugh. Like, I was, no. Needless to say, I did not get invited to parties after that. So I was over-exercising, I was under-eating, and it was time for me to, um, to look at myself, actually, and be like, okay, so I'm at 157.5 pounds, and I need to get to 150. I'm so close, 7.5 pounds, that's all I need to lose, right? Because that's how it happens. 
at first it was oh just 10 more pounds oh now that i got those 10 pounds maybe 10 more pounds you know what i'm almost to my goal i'm almost to my goal i'm almost to my goal and i got down to 157.5 pounds and it wasn't enough and my body would not budge a few things had happened which i tried to ignore um, my, uh, I started getting ex excessive facial hair, which I'm pretty sure that's why I have it today, to be honest, is I really fucked up my body. Um, my body's metabolism by forcing it to go lower than it should. And I remember being, hating my body more at 157.5 pounds than I had ever hated my body at 270 pounds. Like, or now at 320 pounds or what? I don't even know the last time I weighed myself, so I don't actually know how much I weigh. But, like, I had never hated my body more than I did in that moment when I finally had a body that I should have wanted prior to that. Um, and I remember going to the extreme lengths of, because of bodybuilding.com, recognizing that when you get stuck you can take things called fat burners listen this is my 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 appeal to you that no matter how low you get in your body image do not for the love of god take fat burners because no matter how healthy they say they are it's bullshit all they do is they suppress your appetite which makes you obviously not want to eat which essentially forces you into anorexia number one and number two the pill itself whatever the hell chemicals are in there for me it caused heart palpitations remember i was only like 21 at this point i had heart palpitations my in the middle of the night my eyelids would be fluttering like, I couldn't sleep because my eyelids would be fluttering. My period went away. And the crazy thing was, I went online on the bodybuilding.com website on the forum, and I said, hey, like, I started taking this particular brand of fat burner, and, you know, I've been taking it for about two weeks, and my period hasn't come, and I know I'm not pregnant because I haven't had sex with anyone. Like, I know this is impossible. And all I remember is that um, one of the guys on the forum was like, no, it can't be the fat burners. You probably are pregnant. Like, just overriding the fact that, no, this is, like, a legit health issue. And so that was kind of the kick in the ass to myself to really just be like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, this is not okay. And that I, this is the self-awareness I had when I was a little kid when I was like, you know what, I don't want to change to be what everybody else wants me to be. That voice rose up to the top this in that moment. And I was like you need to stop this. You need to at least stop the fat burners. Everything else continue if you want to. And then what happened was um, I ended up having a competition in Korea um, for Kuksulwan. I was still taking it and um, my parents came to visit me. My parents, my sister, my brother, and his wife, they all flew to Korea to come watch me fight in this competition. And when they arrived at the airport, my parents didn't even recognize me. Like, they literally kept looking around for me. At that time, we didn't have cell phones to be like, where are you at? They literally could not recognize me. Um, and they didn't say anything about it then. But my mom now still says things like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't even recognize, we didn't really recognize you. 
um, when we, when we saw you, she's like, I didn't like, I, I don't know if she was worried. Like that was the thing is I, part of me wanted them to say like, what the fuck are you doing? But I think just like the rest of the world, they probably saw it as an achievement. Right? As much as they don't want to say it, or didn't want to say it, they probably saw my weight loss as an achievement. And how strong I was. Because you could literally see the muscles in my arms, my shoulders. Like, I was very lean. You could see literally my muscles everywhere. And, um... And in that moment, I desperately wanted somebody to say, enough. But nobody did. And so that's where I'm glad that I had that self-awareness, that peace inside me that said, what the fuck are you doing? But here's the thing with eating disorders. It's just like any addiction to anything. And if you're somebody that has an obsessive, um, what do you call that, obsessive behavior, um, you you will know this to be true. You can't just stop obsessing about things. And so while I stopped taking the fat burners, I was still very obsessed with can I see my biceps without flexing? Can I see my collarbone? That was something that I had to look for. Like, I was like, oh, as soon as that started to go away, I'd have to get back to the gym and cut back on my food. To this day, I can't even eat tuna salad because all I was eating literally for three to six months straight was tuna chicken breast, like plain chicken breast, like just the most god-awful boring food you could ever imagine. I was in Busan, South Korea, where there's delicious, tasty food and rice and spices and all this stuff. And I was eating oatmeal that I had to find. I was making my own uh, like whey protein and cottage cheese in the sink. I was... Um, eating plain chicken breast and salad. And I would take my little stupid Tupperware containers around with me everywhere I went while I was living in this country that had some of the most delicious food in the world. At that time, um, my boyfriend at the time, Hyung Young, he, he did say something to me. He did say that I was going too far but being 20-something, like, you can't tell me what to do. And he ended up having to go to the military. Um, so he wasn't there to watch over me when he left. And so, and now that he was gone, again, loneliness started to take over. And it was at that moment that I started hiking and going into nature, spending less time in the gym, I have another story to share about something that happened at my martial arts class, my Cook Solomon class. Um, we'll save that for another time. But something happened there, so I stopped going there. And um, I ended up... So I I had this mountain behind my, hip, my house or my apartment. So I would go hiking up into the hills, and that's when I started. Also, I bought my first camera, uh, quote-unquote good camera, which at the time was a good camera, but looking now is, is not a good camera. But anyways, but to me, it was like a huge, uh, investment. It was like $700 essentially for this camera. Um, and I started doing self portraits of myself in the forest and spending time with myself looking at my body. And this is interesting when I think of it now that I'm talking about this, when I looked 
I think self-portraits were part of the thing that helped me get out of that. Because while part of me was like, yeah, you look like you should look, according to societal beauty standards, da 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 there was another part of me that made myself look at myself constantly so that I could also recognize that it wasn't healthy. Does that make sense? Um, and so in that moment, that's when I say self-portrait saved me. They saved me from loneliness because now I had to spend time with myself. I was spending time in nature and I was having to look at my body. And it wasn't in a critical way. I wasn't like, oh, you look so fat or whatever. Like I wasn't hating on my body. I really just started to see it in all these different ways um, in all these photos. In fact, I should try to find these photos. If I do, I'll post my self-portraits. Uh, some of my first self-portraits ever, I'll post them in the um, Beyond the Body member site. But anyways, I digress. Um, and so it wasn't actually until I moved back to Canada, my dad got sick with pancreatic cancer and if you don't know what pancreatic cancer is um it's basically where your body just starves itself um and and i was watching my dad literally starve himself to death or he wasn't starving himself his body was starving him and all he wanted to do was eat all he wanted was like a coke slushy or something like he just wanted to eat and he couldn't and then it made me have to look at what I was doing to say what the hell am I doing I'm looking I'm treating my body a certain kind of way simply because I think I need to look a certain way that's all kinds of fucked up and that was really um one of the again another like kind of kick in the ass to get me out of it but it, like anything it takes time to undo a mindset and that was really probably the first awakening I had towards there's got to be a better way than hating my body there's got to be a better way than thinking I'm at war with this body um because because I had to watch my dad die. And so, yeah, that is my journey with orthorexia. And so what? here's what it's taken from me. I haven't been able to go back to the gym consistently since then. Like when I moved back to Canada and while I was like going through my dad passing away, I was going to the gym consistently and stuff like that. I, at one point I considered becoming a personal trainer like everyone who loses weight thinks they should uh, and stuff like that. It's like I did it so you could do it too. Not realizing the way I did it was not a super great way to do it and I definitely should not be teaching anything to anyone <laughs> um, in that regard. I, I could teach you about other things. But the thing was, is like, it took time for me to see the gym as not a means of weight loss, but just as a means of strength. I still can't go to the gym consistently because immediately after like a week, I'm like, oh, can I see my shoulders? Can I see my biceps? Can I see? And it's that focusing on what can I see as opposed to how do I feel? when I go to the gym, that is where the spiral starts. And so orthorexia has taken the ability to go to the gym from me movement for the longest time. I couldn't even walk 
around the block. Like, this is why I threw myself into work. It was just from one obsession to the next obsession, essentially. Uh, instead of obsessing about going to the gym, I was now obsessing about running my business. And so I didn't take the time to move my body. Um, and then it became really difficult to move my body. So now the first time I had to move my body, even I'm not even shitting you to go for a like two block walk. My body cried out in pain. My ankles were sore. My shins were sore. My knees were sore. My hips were sore. And I was 37 because I had not moved my body for the six years that I had been running my business and probably before that as well, to be honest. All because I had given everything to the gym prior to that or to movement before that. And so I'm just now starting to get back to having a healthy relationship with joyful movement. Like saying, you know what, just get outside today. Doesn't matter how long you go. Doesn't matter how far you go. Doesn't matter anything. You just need to get outside and move your body because it feels good. It feels good to have the sun on your skin. It feels good to breathe fresh air. And I have to remind myself and be so diligent to constantly be conscious of how it feels to move my body instead of getting hung up on how do I look um, after I've moved my body um, or if I'm not seeing results right away. And... Yeah, that is probably one of the biggest things that it took from me. There were there was so much more, but that was a huge one. And I think it's really important for us to realize, like, the whole time I was going through that, everyone complimented me. When I came back to Canada, wow, how did you do it? Oh, my gosh, that's hashtag body goals. Oh, my God, you're so healthy. Are you kidding? I hated myself. That is not health. Body, this is why it's easy for me to believe that there is no way to look for health. Like, because I literally tried to do it. And I can tell you I was not healthy at that size. And so I have to look at a lot of the things and say, like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I moving my body? Is it for fuel or is it to look a certain way? Is it to get compliments to say, oh, look how disciplined you are because that's something that I was applauded for. Like, what am I looking for from this activity, right? And I think that's something that happens to a lot of people is, and I hear this a lot when people lose weight, regardless of how they lose weight, they're like, well, become more confident. And people do. People become confident, but it's more often than not the confidence, and this might piss off some people, and I don't really care because it's really important for you to understand, is that the confidence rarely comes from the weight loss itself. The confidence you're feeling is usually people complimenting you, seeing you when you weren't seen before. It comes from people desiring you desiring what you've accomplished it comes from this feeling especially those of us in North America the feeling of productivity of working towards bettering yourself um, <clears throat> all of that that's where the confidence comes from and yes being able to buy smaller clothes um, 
But here's the thing is that's not real confidence. All of that can go away. Something might happen and you gain a little bit of weight. How do you think you're going to feel? Are you going to feel as confident? Chances are no, because that's exactly what happened to me. As the weight started coming back on for me, I started to reject myself and distance myself from my body. I thought I was a failure. I thought, oh, here I go. I couldn't go visit people. I couldn't see people because I didn't want them to think about me a certain way. In fact, I'm going to see, even now, I'm going to see Young Young, my uh, Korean boyfriend that I had. He lives in Toronto now, and I'm going to see him in a few months. And I'm not going to lie. Part of me is like, oh, I should probably get in a bit of shape before I go see him. Because the last time he saw me was 15 years ago when I was at the smallest I've ever been in my life, except for when I was a baby. No. No, this is just what I look like now, and I'm still the same cool person doing cool shit. I will not lose weight because I have to go see someone. That's bullshit. But I would be lying if I said I didn't think about it. Because that's how disordered eating, the health industry, diet culture... This is what it does to us. It makes us think that if we just lose a little bit more, then maybe we'd be a bit more confident. That's not confidence, my friend. That's not actual confidence. Okay? Oh, so thank you for listening to my story. That's it. I, obviously, I'm still going through it. Like, it's life. This is how it goes. Um, oh, as far as eating, yeah, like I said, I can't eat tuna anymore. I still love chicken. Not gonna lie. Chicken's like my favorite meat in the world. Um, but I definitely eat a lot more bread and have recently found out that I shouldn't be eating cheese because I get psoriasis. <laughs> but you know what? As my naturopath says, it's just information. Just know that if you want cheese, you're going to be itchy. <laughs> So, yes. So, it's been a journey to rebuilding my relationship with movement, to rebuilding my relationship with food, and it still is. There's still a long way for me to go in regards to both of those things. Um, and I'm going to, uh, maybe I'll save this, I'll do a part two next week where I talk about why I'm actually afraid now of existing in a smaller body. So, I think... That will we'll save that one for next week because it is going to be a juicy one that is complex and there will be a lot of feelings about it. But for now, I will leave you with this joyful, not so joyful tale of orthorexia um, and how it manifested for me. And again, if you are if any of my story resonates with you, if you look at yourself and say, holy shit, like. I also, you know, here, here's how you can know. If you don't go to the gym on a certain day, do you feel depressed or sad or um, like you're failing at something? That's probably a good indication. If you eat off of whatever plan you're subscribing to, do you feel like you failed or you've fallen off the wagon, so to speak? That's disordered eating. Um, do you count every single calorie that goes into your mouth? That's disordered eating. Do you weigh yourself consistently? I used to weigh myself um, multiple times a day. Obviously, first thing in the morning after you just peed and taken a poop because then you know you're at your lightest. But I would be pissed if my weight would go up 0.5, one pound during the day. 
uh, that's called food, and that's what bodies do. They fluctuate. This is their job. Um, so if you are consistently weighing yourself, ask yourself why. Um, I don't know anybody that has, uh, oh, here's a good one, actually, in regards to that. If you get on the scale and the number goes up, how do you feel? If you get on the scale and the number is down, how do you feel? If you said, when the number goes up, I feel disappointed, I feel sad, hello, fat phobia. Uh, and if you're like, oh, I get super excited when the number goes down, or I feel a little sense of accomplishment or success, hello, fat phobia. That means you're afraid of gaining weight, even a little bit. Even if, like, when it goes up 0.5, we're like, oh, no. But if we go down 0.5, we're like, uh, yeah, that's a milestone. That's bullshit. Your body fluctuates constantly. And I had to stop weighing myself because it was getting to the point where I was just depressed all damn day. And that would make me work out harder, eat less. Um, and it would just feed the beast, so to speak. So, um, yeah, basically... If your answers to those are, you know, yes, I uh, feel depressed when I don't exercise on a certain day or certain days, um, or I feel anxious that I'm not doing it or like I failed, uh, and if you feel bad that you've quote-unquote fallen off the wagon just for eating something off your plan or program or whatever, um, yep, if you weigh yourself consistently, if you are obsessed with tracking macros or calories, um, chances are you are involved in some sort of disordered eating of some sort, uh, because it's too much, man. It's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. And the amount of time and energy and, and here's the thing. If you feel pissed off and defensive at me saying that you are probably indulging in some disordered eating behaviors and to to be fair there's no one to blame about this because our health system literally advocates for disordered eating when you go to the gym it advocates for over exercise anything to do to lose the weight uh when you go shopping you have clean foods Blah. there's no such thing unless you're washing them in the shower like no like everything from right down to the government, right? This is why fat phobia is a, an oppressive issue for everyone is that it's nobody's fault except for the systems that try to make us believe that we are the problem. You, my friend are not the problem. You are not a project. You are not something to be fixed. You are here to enjoy the ride. Okay? And your body is going to adapt. It's going to change. It's going to gain weight. It's going to lose weight. It's going to get stronger. It's going to get weaker. It's going to get sick. It's going to get, quote unquote, healthy. Um, whatever that feels like to you. You're going to have so many different things and your body's going to adapt to whatever your priority is in the moment. That's what bodies do. Its whole job is to keep you alive the best that it can. And it's doing what it can to do that. We just happen to get in the way too much. All right. Okay. That's enough. Sorry. I, I said I was going to stop like 10 minutes ago and then I kept going. But that's how I do. If you've ever had a photo shoot with me, you know that's 
just what happens. All right. I will see you next week because next week's going to be a bit of a doozy. But uh, thanks for sticking in this long. And hey, if you uh, like this or you found it challenging or you have questions, you know where to find me. Um, but feel free to like, share, all that good stuff. Um, it just helps me get the message out there a bit more and help more people. So thank you, my friends, and I will talk to you later. Bye.